Want convenient banking features like mobile check deposit? Whitney Bank's mobile app has you covered. Start by opening your checking account online at HancockWhitney.com. Then download the app to bank anytime, anywhere. Member FDIC. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette. From Cafe Vermilionville in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Professor of Finance and Director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports, Peter Raschuti. It's business, Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch, Acadiana. Around here, there are a number of holy trinities. There's the original, Christian one. There's the roux, onions, peppers, and celery. And there's the Acadian agricultural trinity, sugarcane, crawfish, and rice. In the rice capital of the world, Crowley, Louisiana, the Falcon Rice Mill has been a family business since 1950. It's the only family-run rice mill in the country, and it's the home of country Cajun rice. Today, the third generation of the Trahan family, Christine Fulton and Robbie Trahan, own and run the Falcon Rice Mill. Robert, welcome down to lunch. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. It's good to have you here. Rice and crawfish might not seem to have a lot in common, other than sometimes they're served on the same plate, but agriculturally, they're cousins. They grow in the same field. In Branch, Louisiana, the Fruget family raise more than one million pounds of crawfish and grow nine million pounds of rice a year. Mike Fruget is the owner of Fruget Aqua Farms, incorporating Fruget Seafood and CajunCrawfish.com. Mike, welcome out to lunch. Great to be here. To complete our trinity, meet Eddie Lewis the third. Eddie is arguably the most uniquely overqualified sugarcane farmer in Acadiana, if not the world. In 2007, Eddie was Chase Bank's number one personal banker nationwide. Eddie sold more bank products than anyone in the country, working out of a branch office in the Albertsons Grocery over on Ambassador Caffrey. Eddie then went on to a successful career as a stockbroker at Morgan Stanley. In 2011, Eddie's father died unexpectedly, and Eddie came home to Youngsville to join his brothers on the farm. Eddie, welcome to lunch. Thank you. Appreciate it. Great. Now, Eddie, there are very few farmers in America <laughs> who know more about business than you. Now that you're back running the family farm, does your experience in the business world give you any unique insights, or are town and country really separate? It sure does, especially with checks and balances, um, the loans, the interest rates, uh, being, being able to communicate with different people, so it really, really helps. I would think one advantage of your new career is that in the investment business, I never, you could make a lot of money, but you never felt like you were doing anything. Mm -hmm. that was not, but here, you really see the, the fruits of your labor. It's, it's a lot different. Now, now I invest in like John Deere, Montesanto, things that I buy. So it's a little bit different from the financial world where you uh, diversifying your uh, products. Yeah. And then, you know, you've got a, f a field to see and, uh, mm -hmm. and a crop. What, what is it now for people that aren't in agriculture? What's what's the season there? September, August. OK. You do a lot of planting. And then the harvest is in? Harvest is from October through December. And we're probably going to plant about 700 acres this year. Let me ask you just personal. Why do you burn off the fields? It's to uh, get the grass out of the fields. It's easier to uh, put the choppers in there and till it and stuff. So you have to burn it to get that debris out of there. Robert, like Eddie, you're in the agricultural business with a background in agriculture and business. You're a CPA, 
uh, secretary treasurer of the Crowley Chamber of Commerce. And in business, you're looking in three directions at once, at the farm to buy rice, at the mill to process and package it, and at retailers and distributors in eight states to sell rice. Uh, each of these segments alone can be a whole world unto itself. How do you balance those demands? Does it divide itself up by seasons, or are you constantly juggling and changing hats? Well, it's a constant deal. I mean, we, I mean, we are in a business where there's a crop and there's a crop year and things like that, but the mill runs 12 months out of the year, so I'm constantly in the market buying rice and then you're selling rice every month. And it is very interesting dynamic. You know, I did public accounting for eight years and then I came to the mill and I was around the mill a little bit, but I wasn't around it a lot. So all I knew was that we just bought this lot of rice and we paid X for it. Then it gets in the mill and goes into five different piles. And my question was, what happened to the money? So <laughs> that's how I learned the business. I just started diving into the books and I started following the trails. And as you go along, you start seeing where you're efficient, where you're not efficient, where things are getting up and walking and things like that. You know, <laughs> just, you know so that's where I dove into the books. And that's kind of how I learned the business. And, you know, the, the selling part is interesting because, you know, one day you're on the phone with a farmer, you know, talking about, you know, we need the rice or, you know, you're, you're, you're negotiating rice and this and that. And then the next day you're up at corporate headquarters at, you know, a big retailer. And that's a total different conversation <laughs> than imagine. the one you had just 15 minutes ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's a fun deal. <laughs> now, rice, somebody once told me that rice tends to be consumed kind of along the coast of the United yes. States. And then the, I guess when you got in the middle, it was kind of replaced by potatoes and such like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, so the majority of the country is meat and potatoes. I mean, that's what they're going to eat. But if you go into the coastal areas, typically um, your ethnic groups of Asian, Hispanics, you know, Cajun people, they all eat rice. Um, so you go, um, we ship, retail-wise, we're in, you know, a regional area, but we do a lot of food service, and a lot of it goes down to Florida. It's Cubans, it's uh, yeah. Asians, and it's, um, they eat a lot of rice. And now, when, when that rice comes into you, it's just raw from the field? Right, right, yeah. So they'll grow it, farmer will harvest it, and then they have to dry it because the, the moisture is, is too high for the mill. So they dry it in their bins, and then once it's dry, we take it in. And all we do, what, what our process is, we take the hulls off, then it's brown rice, and then we take the bran off, and then it's white rice. And then you're separating um, the different sizes. So you're looking, a full kernel of rice is head rice, and then you have a half kernel, which they call a broken, and then you have even smaller, which is a quarter kernel called like a brewer's rice or something like that. So basically, once you mill it, you're making sure all the right rice goes in the right piles because there's different prices for each pile. Oh, okay, so. <laughs> right. There's a, it's like sizing crawfish or something. Yes, they, yes. Now, Mike, farming crawfish as a commercial crop is a very specialized business. Most of the crawfish farms in the United States are an easy drive from where we are here in Lafayette. So you're sharing a lot with competitors. A few weeks of unfavorable weather conditions or even an abundance season that everybody uh, is doing well and forces the prices down can have serious consequences. Does being a major producer like you give you more control over the market or does it just mean you have more at stake, upside and, and risk? Pretty much you just have more at stake. <laughs> you don't feel like you're running the market. No, Mother Nature drives the market. For, I mean, for certain. I mean, one year you can have crawfish in Thanksgiving. The next year you don't have crawfish until March. And that's all weather driven. And it's driven by the weather we had the previous summer in some cases. We have a really dry summer, a drought conditions in the previous summer. Crawfish are going to be really late. You know, if you have a wet summer and, I mean, 
I could, we could sit here all day and talk about the weather, yeah. but uh, weather definitely drives crawfish production. We create an environment uh, to let, to become favorable for mother nature, but if she doesn't cooperate, we could be in big trouble. <laughs> and then you get crawfish from the farm and then crawfish from the basin, right? The kind of two different, uh, two different crops, uh, two driven by two totally different mechanisms. The water level of the Mississippi River drives that crop. Uh, it can be abundant or it could be zero. You know, the, the, the only year that the farms were zero, and they weren't really zero, but there was a year where we had a combination of drought and a chemical that got accidentally put into the fields, uh, pretty much wiped out the entire crop. Uh, that was, I think, 99 or 98, somewhere in there. But we got to ask uh, the, the big question, the, the com competition coming in from abroad. Mm -hmm. uh, where? Well, that's a, di that's a kind of a different line. You know, back in the, I don't, I'm lost track of time, but the, when the Chinese product hit the market, that pretty much devastated the, the, uh, the peeling operations. Okay. Uh, and they've never really recovered from that. So, but what happened is that, that this uh, giant live market took over. If you went to Houston, Texas in 1980, you probably wouldn't have found any crawfish. And, the, you know, today there's a crawfish boiling house on every corner. You know, here locally, I don't know how many crawfish boiling houses there are. And what, what, what drove <clears throat> that? Why did people get into this business? Well, you know, we're talking about the current slump in the oil field. If you go back into the 80s, whenever the oil field crashed, I mean, probably 20% of Lafayette picked up and moved away, and the other, the other half was trying to figure out what we were going to do. My brother and I were in college at the time. That's how we got started. We were both working for minimum wage, and we could, you know, have a crawfish pond on the side and um, make enough money to pay for our college. And that, that's how we got started in the business. And we, we neither one of us planned on being crawfish farmers. <laughs> uh, you know, farming in general in the 80s, if you go back and look at it, not just rice farming, but farming across America, everybody went broke. You know, lots of people went broke and lots of people got out of the business. And, and you know, that's a whole other story. But so we, my dad had gotten out of farming. Our whole family had gotten out of farming. We never intended to be farmers. We went to college, so we didn't have to farm, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and it was not a good prospect. But and yet crawfish sort of paid the crawfish, tuition at UL, I yeah, guess, well, for you. Yeah, well, crawfish was different. Crawfish was a, a new and upcoming hobby that became viable as a commercial business. And, you know, uh, it's a very difficult business. You know, you know there are not a lot of big huge money people yep. in the business because it's so difficult but from a you know entrepreneurial level it's low cost of entry so you know thus a lot of crawfish farmers have made the switch Eddie let me ask you <coughs> what do you think of the general uh, business climate in Acadiana because you've you know you've kind of been on both sides so. Um, the oil sector is definitely down. We're getting a lot of people from the oil field coming to the farms, like welders who are working in the oil field. So it's an influx of employees coming. We have a big, bigger pool to uh, draw from. And and you guys, kind of the same thing in terms yeah. of uh, labor. Yeah, definitely. I mean, totally. Yeah, you get, we get people in the office every day asking for job applications or things like that. I mean, it's just the labor pool is just so much bigger now. And uh, and but when things are good in the oil field, they're that's very tough competition for labor, yes. I imagine. Right? Yes. Almost impossible. Almost impossible. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Beyond tough. They, uh, I have a question for you. How did you take crawfish online? My wife is from Miami, Florida, and that's kind of how it probably got started. 
because we would go there and do crawfish boils and you know somebody that was at one told the next one etc and then the next thing you knew we were doing crawfish boils every other weekend uh, it became a job really <laughs> and uh then she and i moved back uh we lived there for a couple of years after college and when we my brother and i consciously decided we were going to make this a business and um you know, we just kept shipping crawfish, and, and you know that led to shipping to this guy and that guy, and then the, the internet came along, and uh, a friend of mine who uh, who is in e-commerce said, "Hey, you need to have a crawfish website," and we did, and we were the first ones, and you know, just sort of. How, went, uh, is it a big part of your business now? It's a significant part of our business. We we are definitely a wholesaler first, you know, to direct to uh, end users, restaurants, and uh, other wholesalers, if yeah. you will, but the, we put a lot of energy behind the website. The website's a great marketing tool for us. You probably found us because of the yeah, website. Yeah, that's right. You know, so uh, lots of other people in our wholesale business find us because of the website. So we we put a lot of energy behind it. We just came back from Boston because oh of yeah, you did the seafood the website, show you yeah, mentioned. The yeah, show, right. That's now, Robbie. What about? Um, a lot of people will listen to the show that don't understand this, but how does how's this connection between that same farm uh, uh, growing rice and then the crawfish crop? How does how does that work? Well, that's a big yeah, that's a big part of it. I mean, a lot of the reasons we still have a good rice industry is because of the crawfish. Ah. you know, when things were bad with rice, crawfish was a pick me up for a lot of those guys. So, I mean, I tell people all the time, thank God, thank goodness we have a crawfish crop because it's it helps everybody because the rice tends to go up and down and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good and it's it's hard on the millers it's hard on the farmers so do you view crawfish as kind of the lanyap of this this part or yeah it's i would say that for the most part now eddie i gotta ask you when i hear your story i find it very interesting because it, i wouldn't think that being in the the albertsons would be the best possible place to be selling financial products so um, maybe good for pears and things like that how did you do it Really, it was just an influx of people in the uh, in the stores. I was very friendly. I walked the aisles. I would talk to everyone, um, just helping people, whatever they would need. You know, communicating with them. So, <laughs> I would get a lot of referrals. Um, same business stuff like that. Why, and what were the what were you selling? Was it was it stocks or uh, insurance or what? Were it you was doing? mostly like uh, loans, credit cards, uh, checking, savings accounts, um, and also investments. Also, wow, there's a. I just can't picture this. I, <laughs> I had an office in a tower. I can't imagine doing this in an Albertsons, but, yeah, but you did it. Very unique having people walking around with groceries and you're talking a million dollar deal, how to invest and <laughs> diversify your portfolio <laughs> and uh, doing home equity lines of credit at the same time. So it was very weird talking like in the house about money. But Nice pineapple. You might want to buy stock in Del Monte <laughs> or something yes. like that. There's a, it, is there such thing as a bad rice season? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Would that be because of pricing or is it... Uh, sometimes it's the, a little bit of both. Problems. I yeah. mean, you have you know the the weather is a big deal, like like with that deal. So sometimes you have good growing conditions, and the crop is just a bumper crop, and you have a you know on a miller side, you're trying to make you're trying to produce the most head rice that you can in a in a certain time. You know that keeps your cost down. Yeah. Well, some years the millings aren't that good, just from weather or whatnot, or so you're milling twice as much and making the same amount as rice as some year. Or some years the millings are great. And you're just pumping that baby through, and you're running half the time, and you're like, man, we're just twilling our thumbs here. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, so that, you know, there's that part of it. And then there's parts of, you know, when it's, when markets go up and down. The U.S. crop is, half of it is exported. 
So the, the, the rice market price really is driven by export. So if there's not a lot of export rice, then we have a glutton of rice on the market. And that's not good for anybody. I mean, that's, that's just an uncomfortable situation. Now, and Eddie, same question on the sugar cane. Um, where is it, where's your sugar cane going? Um, the sugar cane is stored at St. Mary's Sugar and Cajun uh, Sugar Co-op. We store it and we sell it every two months, two month contracts. So we, and where uh, do you sell it to? We sell to uh, Domino, different places in New okay, Orleans. Yep. And from there, it goes to the retail stores. Ah, okay. So you're, uh, you're one step removed. You actually are talking to the grocery stores. Is yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I go to all of them. I talk to the buyers and... And <laughs> selling, and you know, I mean, just and then ten minutes later, and get out of the meeting. I usually got to call somebody or cooking <laughs> um, rice or whatnot. Now, yeah. um, now, one of the things that uh, appealed to me when I found that we're going to have all three of you on is you all work with your families. Yeah. And I happen to know uh, from teaching at a business school, sometimes that's great, and sometimes that's not great. Um, how do you do it? Patience is definitely a virtue. <laughs> just taking it easy, listening, being able to communicate. Uh, a lot of meetings. Uh, meeting a day in the morning, first thing in the morning, set an agenda, set a schedule, and that helps out a lot, communication. Um, definitely a lot of patience. You've got a history with these people. You remember when they were little. And exactly, exactly. A lot of emotional luggage. They, uh, what about yourselves? Well, it's been good. I mean, it's, it's different. I mean, I was, I, before I came back to the mill, I wasn't with family. I mean, I was at a firm. Like and, a big four accounting yeah, firm. Yeah, right. I was there, and I mean, so I had the corporate background. And my, my sister that works from, she's a CPA too. And I end up moving back and working, and after about a year, I coaxed her into coming back. So that's kind of how that happened with <laughs> us. She was in Texas, too, and so we ended up getting together. And it's been good. I mean, it's not, you know, every day's not a rosy day, that's for sure. But, <laughs> but we make it work, you know. <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah. And you're over with your brother. Yeah, you know, I would say uh, a lot of things they're saying, but separation of duties, you know. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, I, I, people always ask me how to... My brother and I do it. Now, we, we can get into it every once in a while, but I always tell everybody he's the farmer and I'm the salesman, you know. So uh, all right. He does the, the physical production. You know, I'm in charge of the books and where we go to market and how we go to market. I market the rice, the crawfish, you know, all of that. I run the office, you know. Uh, so, you know, we all know our jobs. That's it. We have That's a lot of meetings. Yep. Just yeah. what he was talking yep. about earlier. We have a lot of meetings. We, we're, you know, I'm usually dragging them to the meetings, but, that's <laughs> yeah. but uh, you know, we have yeah. a family business uh, uh, oh, division at the at the university, and I asked them once. I said, "What do you teach over there? Is it like half finance, half accounting?" And they said, "No, it's a third finance, a third accounting, and a third psychiatry." You know, yeah. it's like out there. But yeah. sounds like you guys have figured that it out. That is true. <laughs> well, it's an interesting deal because uh, you know when my sister and my brother-in-law came, so and he was really good in operations, and I'm good on the financial side and so that's kind of how it all happened we I needed help I mean I couldn't I couldn't physically do it all so when they came they both found their spots and it helped out a tremendous deal so I think we all know. have something in common here yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah I like the fact that if you were missing something like in Eddie's family you'd tell your sister you know go out and marry an accountant we need an accountant bring him in There's yeah. a, <laughs> sometimes yeah. it works like that yeah <laughs> I think I think you have to consciously want it to work though okay. I know a, exactly. you know, I know a lot of families who don't get along who've tried to have family yeah. businesses and, and it doesn't work but you know if you want it to work and you 
Yeah, you yeah. might get into it every once in a while, yeah. but then you sort of take a deep breath and say, oh, no, I'm better off. You exactly. Know? That's, you know? yeah. That is great. You know, it's time we're going to do the checklist. This is a little part of the show where we take a break and ask you a quick question that you, you probably wouldn't find on a loan application. So I'm going <laughs> to start with Mike. Um, what is your trick for staying positive? I married my wife. Really? That yeah, like literally. Uh, she is the most positive person I know, you know. I married her, and then I'm a realist, you know. And every person that I ever interview, I always, uh, the first thing I tell them or a question I ask is that, uh, have you ever dealt with Mother Nature? And then they usually say no. And I usually tell them, I say, well, look out that window, and let me tell you something, she doesn't care. <laughs> and you need to know that if you're going to be in our, our industry yeah. because she's going to deal blows to you that you're just not going to be prepared for. And um, so I'm the realist. Uh, I always run our business very conservatively. Uh, we were talking earlier about rice millings. You know, you think you have your rice crop made, it's sitting in the rice bins, you've dried it all out, everything's great, and you can kind of do an estimate. But if you ship it and you mill 50%, you've just had a disaster. And you didn't know it until maybe a year later. That's where a positive yeah. wife comes in. That's when the positive wife comes in. <laughs> Now, Robbie, um, what did your parents do for a living? Well, my, my dad's actually a pharmacist. He had a drugstore for like 30 years. In it, Crowley? Yeah, or, well, uh -huh. in Jennings. Yep. And then my mom, it was my mom's family was the mill. My grandfather ran it for a long time, then he passed away. And then we, so they got in the rice business later on. And then there was five of us, and we were all, we had three CPAs in the family. So we have a lot of different type of deal. But yeah, my dad, my dad ran the mill after being a, pharmacist for 30 years you know so it was kind of a interesting dynamic of so how they it all were worked entrepreneurs and all right yeah yeah start, he yeah. kind of always had his own deal and then when he jumped into the mill he was kind of the same way i mean he he wasn't as much of a financial person as i was right. but he knew how business worked and he knew that that's what he it was a challenge to him you know so that's kind of we kind of did the same thing when we jumped into it so wow that yeah. thing is funny i find entrepreneurs uh, even when things don't go right they they still have another idea in their head. They don't want to go to work for anyone else. Yes. So it's something. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. Eddie, who has been the most eh, most helpful person in your life in terms of getting you where you are today? I would probably say my father, who passed away in 2011. He, uh, he taught me love and compassion, um, how to treat your employees, how to treat your family, um, how to be straight up, how to be honest. So I would say my father and my family in general. Now, you hear a story, your story, you hear a lot in business where the son or daughter was out doing something else and then, you know, a crisis occurred. Uh, um, my father never wanted me on the farm because he was like, you can go to college and you can work 40 hours a week compared to 80 hours a week. So he, he didn't want me on the farm. He sent me to college to find another job, which I did. And I always fought to get back on the farm and he would never let me back there. Oh, that's and, interesting. Um, I, I was in banking, I was a stockbroker, I did all that. So the minute he passed away, I kind of knew what to do. We was going into the season where harvest was over and you have to make your, uh, your operating expense loans. So I just kind of jumped straight in there. So it was almost like a blessing and a curse. He was gone, but I knew what to do. You know, I knew how to make the loans, I knew how to get in there, set the budget, get the employees ready, and rock and roll. So you know what? That, that's an interesting point. I mean, the same thing happened to me. I mean, I, my dad never wanted me to come back. I was in public accounting. I was in, I was in San Antonio at the time, and 
I remember talking to my dad. You know, I'm putting on my financial hat. I'm like, Dad, he was 67. I'm like, what are you planning on doing? Well, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And he's like everybody else. He obviously has no plan for what's going to happen when he <laughs> retires. So I finally told him, I said, you know, Dad, if you want me to move back, I'll move back. And my wife is walking across the den, and she dead stops looking at me going, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember this meeting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, same thing happened to me. I mean, he didn't want me to come back. He was like, I can't ask you to come back. You got a good career going. And I mean, I was the same thing on my end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Mike, is, he, is your wife in the business? My wife is in the business. My wife is our commercial artist. Uh, she does all a lot of the marketing uh, in the sense of our newsletters and logos. And she's a she's a trained commercial artist. She's a graphic artist. Uh, got a degree in it. So she, she's, and to show what I lo- love about a I didn't marry her because of that. But yeah, that's yeah. right. Because <laughs> just needed a commercial a artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing I love about Acadiana is you said earlier in the show that your wife did. Your yeah, the artwork for our bag. I mean, when we were designing <laughs> yeah. our bag, she was <laughs> she was there. She's the yeah. reason our bag looks so good. <laughs> That's why this place. I mean, works. a few other people, but yeah, she was there. I, re- I remember yeah. that when uh, yeah. coming around. So. Robbie Trahan, Mike Fruge, Eddie Lewis. I couldn't have had lunch with a nicer, more insightful uh, group of people representing the Holy Trinity of Acadiana Agriculture. Uh, you've been great. Thank you all for taking the time to come on into town and uh, joining me today on Out to Lunch. Well, thanks Thank for you. having us. It's yeah. a pleasure. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Robbie Trahan. He's the owner of the Falcone Rice Mill and home of the Cajun Country Rice. Uh, Mike Fruge, he's owner of Fruge Seafood and CajunCrawfish.com and sugarcane farmer Eddie Lewis III. You can find out more about Robbie's Rice, Mike's Seafood, and Eddie's Sugar by following the links on our websites, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Cafe Vermilionville in Lafayette. Cafe V is open six days a week for lunch and dinner with a courtyard that really sets the scene for fine Louisiana cuisine. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Chris Kehoe was our researcher today. Our theme song, Encore Monsieur Nice Guy, is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Andre Michaud. Our Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana, Zach Barker from The Opportunity Machine, and Dr. Blake Escudet. If you want to know what we look like, and we really did find Three good-looking farmers here. This is, um, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. The photos were taken today by Gwen Oquan. Now, you can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. And you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's Acadiana.com and krvs.org. Support for Out to Lunch, Acadiana, comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Cali Saloon. Wyndham Garden Lafayette is pet and family friendly, offering complimentary parking and Wi-Fi. Additional support comes from ABiz Magazine and AcadianaBusiness.com, the essential information source for business decision makers throughout the one Acadiana region. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Cafe Vermilionville for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette. Want convenient banking features like mobile check deposit? 
Whitney Bank's mobile app has you covered. Start by opening your checking account online at HancockWhitney.com, then download the app to bank anytime, anywhere. Member FDIC.